Hello and welcome to P-Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with Connor Lavelle. So now we're here with episode 5. Big 5-0, right? <laughs> it just sounds so small in comparison, but we were talking about this before. I mean, I always expect podcasts to get to three episodes and then dip, but to make it this far, it feels pretty good, wouldn't you say, Connor? Yeah, definitely. I was looking, you know, saw the fourth episode of the podcast go up, and I knew that we were planning to record the fifth, and it's like, wow, this is like actually a sustained thing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell. You never know what the future holds. I'm definitely happy we're, you know, now we're on a weekly schedule, so podcast episodes should come up pretty frequently, so... Very excited. Um, how is Cube League going for you? Uh, Cube League is going very well. I'm I'm currently five and one. I've finished up my last Swiss round uh, earlier this week, so I'm pretty firmly locked for top eight. I think I'll go in at second seed. I might go in at third. It, it's a close tie, or a, a close race between uh, another five one and I. But I'm five one going in with really strong resistance. How about you? Well, congrats. I am I think 3-2. I still have to play my game out um, as we're recording this. So I still have to win out from here. So hoping that, you know, my last game can go pretty well. But ultimately, I mean, I'm still happy with how it's go- things are going. So can't complain. Do you know who your last opponent is? Uh, I believe he's playing. Oh, man, I'm just trying to blank. Uh, I, think I-, I have box. no idea who. Joe? Oh, okay. I actually played Joe last round. His deck is very good. It looks very good. I was like really interested when I saw the list. It was a Delta box, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like a toolboxy Delta, but like he doesn't necessarily need his Delta stuff to get going. Although his Delta stuff is really consistent. He has like three of the stadiums and like two drinks. Uh, for those that don't know, their cards are like conditionally mutant in this queue, and uh, you need some cards to enable them and. This player that we're talking about, Joe, he has lots of those. So uh, his his deck is very consistent. He's got the Claydol, does lots of scary things. Um, he did take a game off of me. And uh, yeah, he, he's just got a lot of good cards and his deck is very strong. Yeah, very, very excited to play him. Hopefully we have a good set. Um, so we're going to be switching things up in the sense of cube. So before we were doing our Crack-A-Pack through Connor's cube... And now we're going to transition and hit him with something a little bit different. Connor, do you want to explain? Yeah, so we are going to be transitioning onto the Team Cube for February. Uh, we we are almost finished with the season that this will be run for, but not quite yet. And that is A.S. Robertson's Cube. Uh, he is a good friend of ours, and uh, his Cube's fun. It's gone under a lot of changes Uh over the past year or two and we are going to be starting off with the rochester at the beginning of his draft and that is pretty unique for sure uh andrew would you like to talk about that as somebody with the rochester in your cube right yeah so um it's funny actually i feel like um when i started and cube was mostly just like a local thing uh rochester's were pretty common uh they started out i remember uh, we were talking you said in alex cook's cubes when you drafted yeah, like right at the beginning when I uh, had first gotten into Cube. Yeah, and then I think the rest of our area just kind of picked it up and ran with it. So all the cubes around the St. Louis area all had Rochester's. But then once I started drafting people, other people's cubes, uh, I started to see them less often. So this might be sort of a nuanced thing that people might not uh, I won't come across as much. So basically a Rochester is a face-up draft. Um, it works in sort of a snake style. So they'll, let's just say we had six players. Player one will pick it'll go all the way down to uh, player six who will actually pick two cards and then it'll work its way back so then player five will follow that up and then it goes until all the cards are 
um, taken. So it's kind of a cool way to uh, start the draft. It makes you sort of, uh, you know, keep a, keep a little bit of an eye on what everybody else is taking since it's all face up. Um, what Slade has here is what we call a fixed Rochester. So um, there's a few ways you can do this. Uh, one that way that we, whenever I started was pretty popular was just taking uh, X amount of cards from the cube and putting them face up. So usually you plan to have like 24 cards of your cube drafted face up. So it'd be like a random set, but that introduces a lot of variance. And then someone picks up a stage two line, you instantly know who to hate draft. So uh, it kind of adopted itself into more of a fixed Rochester, meaning the cards that are in the Rochester are always in the Rochester, which kind of acts as a sort of balanced way of introducing some powerful cards. So you'll see some powerful cards in this Rochester for sure. Um, but it also adds in a little bit of like strategy. So um, some of the few picks, first picks you might take are kind of obvious, but it gets interesting to see how down the line people take cards. And it always feels a little bit different depending on who you draft with. Um, he's got a very interesting Rochester. Connor, what cards are we looking at here? Yeah, so we have a 24-card Rochester, as Andrew said, from top to bottom. It is Holand's Cast Form, Holand's Electrode, Sableye from Stormfront, Jirachi EX uh, with Stellar Guidance, Jirachi from, I believe, Hidden Legends or Deoxys, the one with Wishing Star, uh, Yuxi from Legends Awakened with Setup, Marshadow with Let Loose, Alolan Vulpix with Beacon, Shaman EX from Roaring Skies, Two Ditto Prism Stars, Pokemon Collector, Lysander, Steven's Advice, Teammates, Rare Candy, Parallel City, Viridian Forest, Floatstone, Call Energy, Double Colorless Energy, Rainbow Energy, Scramble Energy, and Super Boost Energy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these cards, um, probably a lot of people who've played cube a lot recognize just because they're some of the most common cards you draft which is kind of the point of a fixed rochester uh what's interesting though is that i feel like there's definitely a disparity between some cards are going to be like obvious first picks but then as you get down the line it might be a little bit harder to see which cards you want to take it kind of depends on what's available to you so kind of starting off so assuming like i was first in this rochester i'm, I'm gonna snap grabbing the lysander i don't know do you <laughs> Is there any other card you think contests the <laughs> Lysander? I think the only card that might be a contest for the Lysander in this cube is Uxie LA. Um, but so in this cube, Lysander is the only reliable gust effect, and it is extremely, extremely powerful. Um, in a higher power cube or one where there are uh, more gust effects, I would probably take the Uxi instead because in general I think that effect is stronger than just a one of gust. Uxi uh, is going to smooth out your draws in a lot of cases. But in a cube like this where, I mean, there are plenty of ways to get draw. Sure, Uxi is probably the best draw card there is, but Lysander is the only reliable gust in the cube. I'm just going to snap pick that Lysander. Yeah, it definitely feels like the the clear first choice. Steven... If you're, if, well, the way we're looking at it, through Google Doc, it's like right in the center in, in like full art. So it even like stands out even more when we're looking at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is true. But I mean, it, with, so aside from Lysander, I'm and you already mentioned Uxie, which is obviously very good for setup. I like also uh, Sableye or Vulpix just because I really like having a setup Pokemon with a free attack. So if I can get that early, I generally just feel really good about it. I don't know how you feel. I don't know which other cards you're looking at. 
I like the Sableye and the Vulpix a lot. I think they're very strong. I don't think I would take them over some of the other cards we see here. Um, they'd probably be in like my my five to eight pick kind of order. Um, so I'd say Lysander is my number one. Yuxi Legends Awaken is my number two. My three and four are Shaman EX from Roaring Skies and Steven's Advice. I'm not sure which of these I would rank higher. Um, we just drafted this cube a week or two ago, and I took the Steven's Advice then. I don't know if I'd take the Shaman now. The difference between Yuxi LA and Shaman EX is really significant. Yuxi is easier to search because it doesn't have, or it, its HP is low, which is good for cards like Hole and Mentor. Uh, setup gives you an extra card on Yuxi. Psychic Restore is a much better attack than Sky Return. Uh, just lots of reasons why Yuxi is a better card. So Steven's Advice being one of the most powerful draw supporters ever made, if not the most powerful draw supporter ever made, really puts it up pretty high. Uh, and then after that, after that is where I start to look at cards. I would say like my next tier is like Jirachi EX, uh, Alolan Vulpix, Sableye, Floatstone, Teammates. Those, those are my next grouping uh floatstone might seem a little bit out of place there but i think floatstone is actually an incredible card in cube um just a versatile switching card that you're able to use a lot uh, most of the time your opponent's going to be playing one or zero tool removal cards so very easy to get value out of that floatstone all game long and uh, i think that it is overall just an extremely powerful card definitely one of the best switching cards that you can get if not the best i mean other than like Guzma <laughs> or something, I think it's probably the best you could possibly get. So uh, that would be kind of my next tier. But my top three are definitely Lysander, UCLA, and then either Shaman EX or Steven's Advice. You know, you brought up one card that I uh, that I think is definitely also underrated, and that's Teammates. I, I really enjoy Teammates. I think it's, I mean, just being able to grab two cards from your deck when your opponent takes a knockout and yours, it's going to happen like five to six times anyway. Um I think that support's really strong. I feel like I see it wheel more often than it should. I don't know if you experience the same thing, but uh, I feel like people often undervalue. Like, Twins is kind of the same thing. Like, these comeback cards that are really strong. Yeah, I, I do like teammates a lot. I like teammates much, much more than Twins because teammates can be used... Teammates you're going to use every single game that you draw it, pretty much. Um, whereas with Twins, there are going to be a lot of games, if you're especially if you're playing a more aggressive deck, um, or if you draw it, like, say, in the late game when you've swung back ahead, if you're playing a slower deck, then um, team, Twins is definitely going to have a lot more of the game where it's not actually playable. But uh, Teammates, you're going to be able to play it pretty much every single game you draw it, which is, is fantastic uh, because the effect is so powerful. So I have definitely been higher and lower on Teammates in my time playing Cube. Um, Right now, I think a lot of people overrate it still um, because it is not something that you can play in all situations. So, uh, you know, if you're especially in like a high power cube, teammates is a super, super strong in all power levels. Don't get me wrong. But uh, in a high power cube in the early game, say you've got a teammates and that's your only supporter and your opponent's got a little bit of a slow start, you've no way to punish that slow start because that teammates is your only supporter. Whereas if it was just like a regular draw supporter, even like a draw three, which is much worse than teammates for the record, <laughs> then you would be able to do something with that extra time that you've got. So that's why I don't think it's like far and away the best supporter. Uh, however, I uh, I actually think people overrate it. Uh, in in contrast to you, I think uh, I see it go very very fast. 
So interesting difference in perspective there. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on like who you draft with because um, I think some players maybe think they're never going to need it or they're never going to like find it when they need it. So like they're like, well, I'll, I, I could just take like, you know, something like different. <laughs> I don't need to play. I don't need to like plan on uh, finding that card when I take a knockout. Like I think people are planning on just being aggressive, at least in some groups I played with. Whereas I feel like, you know, uh, over time, I feel like more people are maybe, maybe, maybe it does depend on what, what circle you do draft with, because I think maybe other people are starting to figure that out where it's like, oh, um, you know, this card's great whenever I can like get it to pop. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, uh, I would add to my next kind of tier there, double colorless energy as well. Um, the, the card's a lot better in some cubes than others, depends on uh, what the attack costs are on a lot of the stage twos and just line toppers in general. Uh, and how much acceleration there is, but in this cube there's not a ton of acceleration, lots of double colorless uh, requirements, so I like DCE quite a bit, but I think I'd take it after those other cards I mentioned. So how do you feel about Ditto Prism Star? Because I think like the, um, definitely saw a lot of play last year when it was in in standard, because Almighty Evolution allows it to become any stage one, but doesn't, it's not really compatible with any like rare candy uh, decks, so it, I mean, I don't know where you place it at and as far as tier lists. Uh, I, I think people take it way too high yeah in general yeah i mean ditto prism star great card when it was around and it's not a bad card to put in your cube deck but like you said it's not compatible with rare candy if your opponent has any ability lock or interaction then there's a chance that it actually can't even evolve um i've seen some interesting cases with it where it like doesn't interact quite right with certain pokemon or um, people are not able to do with it what they want to do with it. I mean, like, if your opponent gets a fast cessation crystal on you, huh. then you are going to be really sad that you have a Ditto Prism Star instead of a regular basic. So Ditto Prism Star can be a good card, and it's a lot better in a Stage 1 deck where it's not going to conflict as badly. But even, like, a setup attack or, like, a 1 for 10 or 20 on a, on an evolving basic can can matter later in the game. Whereas in Standard, it, it really wouldn't have, especially not when this card was out. So um, I don't think that people should take this card very highly. Most of the time, it's going to be a 40 HP basic with no attacks that uh, hopefully you don't have to start with. Because if you do, then you're going to be pretty sad. Yeah, what's kind of funny about it, too, it's like I feel like when it was in format, it was like really good in like certain decks that could like maneuver between like all these different stage ones and like you didn't really know what it was going to evolve into or it's just like okay well i played three stage ones so it can become any one of those three like i'm thinking about like zorak like and rock was like a perfect example um but like in cube it's a little bit less uh, about having like this like i mean you guess you could always make a toolbox deck but like uh, i feel like in cube your lines are more like fleshed out like if you're playing like i, I always go to kingdra i don't know why but um, <laughs> like I'm, I have my line. I have the Seedras I want to play. I have the Kingdras I want to play and the Horsies. I don't need another Ditto that doesn't attack, right? Like um, I know in like the cube we're playing right now for Cube League, like all of my Horsies do things. Like I have some that can attack the bench. I have some that can do more for water energies. Like those are part of the strategy at times. And I think the thing with Ditto at times that can kind of hurt you is that it doesn't do anything besides evolve. So, and you're already planning on doing that anyway. I don't know if it's as good now is, than it would, when it was in Standard. Yeah, I definitely agree. And a lot of the time, too, cube builders will intentionally include basics for their lines that are some of the most interesting and powerful uh, evolving basics in the history of Pokemon. Like some of them will have setup attacks or disruptive attacks or 
uh, you know, just have good stats in general and, and losing those things, especially in a lower power cube. Well, so ditto, ditto has interesting connotations both ways. In a lower power cube, you're losing out on this value that you could gain from playing a basic that actually does something. And in a higher power cube, you're at like extreme risk of this ditto getting knocked out because it's only got 40 HP, whereas most of your other basics are probably going to have like 60 or more. So uh, it's it's definitely a card that I think people overrate pretty dramatically, and uh, I would I, I cut it a lot of the time, even when I do have it, because there's just no reason to play it. Like if I've got five six basics for this line that I already am playing, there's just no function for this ditto. Now it can be really useful if you uh, so it, it can be useful really early on if you pick it up because it's it's speculative into everything. Um, if you get like a Claydol, a Delcaddy, like a, a really powerful support line that's pretty thin, then Ditto can be very powerful in those cases because you've already covered your option there and you never really want to attack with those Pokemon anyway, so losing that ability, not a big deal. Um, but in general, I do think people take this card far too highly. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I was just curious to hear your thoughts because I... Um, I definitely like remember playing this card in a lot of my standard decks, but you know, in cube, it's a different format. So that always, yeah. always adds another element to it. So I think we both agree that Lysander's the first pick. Um, I do really like Uxie. I definitely my, for sure my second pick. Um, I'm definitely like looking at, I mean, I'm still looking at Sableye in full picks, but then also Steven's advice and Shaman are also very good too. So, uh, yeah. anything else you want to talk about this Ronchester before we close out on the segment? Uh, I do want to talk about your pick of this the the Sableye and Vulpix. If I am on those cards, like if I take them in the Rochester here, there's a solid chance I decide to um, prioritize like a stage one or a stage two, like a, a main strategy where the basics have one retreat or free retreat just to be able to get into those Pokemon. So that's something that I feel like people don't normally think about, and it would be really easy not to. I mean, I, I don't even know if I would think about that, you know, on the spot, but looking at it right now, really thinking about it, um, being able to get into those Pokemon early on would be very, very powerful. So you want to be able to do that as often as you can. I think, um, yeah, actually, I'm really happy you brought that up. That's a good point. Uh, definitely something I actually haven't thought about, too. That would make cards like Floatstone and like Unknown uh, Q actually fairly useful. Oh, Unknown Q is just a monstrous card in general. Right. <laughs> I, I love Unknown Q. I take it so highly. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. Yeah, nothing feels better than, like, collecting for, like, Alolan Vulpix and Unknown Q. <laughs> <laughs> Alolan Vulpix, Unknown Q, UCLA. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice, nice set of three right there. I mean, there's a decent chance you could get at least most of that through this Rochester. Yeah, you could get your, your Uxie and your Vulpix. I don't think you would, just because those cards are probably going to, like... See, what I was thinking was the Uxie and the Collector, and then, like, you might be able to find the Vulpix in the draft. <laughs> yeah, I think you could definitely get the Uxie and the Collector. But, uh, yeah, find the Vulpix in the draft, and I think there's a Q in the draft. Yeah. But, anyway, just uh, just interesting discussion point, I thought, um, you know influence it, there there might be things this early on that can influence your draft uh in, in a pretty significant way so definitely think about that yeah i mean that's that was some really good points too so um i think this has been a really good talking point as far as like you know the first the 
you know, the Ronchester is like the first thing you draft in this cube. So it makes sense that this is the first thing we look at. Going forward, uh, in the next few episodes, we will actually just be looking at packs now from the cube like we were before. But we thought this would be an interesting way to show um, one of the more unique aspects about this cube as well as introduce a few new ideas. So I hope you guys enjoy. Of course, let us know what your first pick would be or maybe your second pick if you're really committed to the Lysander like we are. Or maybe you have some arguments for some other cards and we'd love to hear them. So if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to let us know in the comments below. Um, I think it's going to do it for this intro segment. But stick around. We're going to talk about all about how to balance a cube in just a second. All right, welcome back. So we've sort of gone our way through uh, pretty much every aspect of cube. Now we've kind of reached probably one of the most, uh, in, I think one of the most interesting topics when it comes to uh, just being a cube owner and like, you know, how cube evolves and that comes with balancing. Uh, how, how would you describe balancing in like a broad sense? Balancing is in a broad sense, making the lines in your cube more competitive with each other. I think that's yeah. a good way to think about it uh, making yeah, it a very such description yeah making it such that each line has the ability to compete fairly against the other lines without either being more powerful and not really needing to you know compete in that way or being too weak and not really having a shot um, balance is just the effort to make decks competitive with each other yeah, and I think balancing is, plays a huge component in, like, what makes your cube more interesting and fun, too, because, I mean, if people feel like one deck's just better than all the other decks, it becomes less fun in general. Um, I think it also tests your skills a lot, too, as a player um, when you're trying to balance your cube, because it definitely, sh uh, you have to evaluate a lot of what's going on, not just for, like, individual cards, but, like, maybe archetypes, and I don't know, I feel like it, it constantly evolves and, you know, really forces your it really forces you to uh, adopt, you know, different opinions and uh, look at your cube more critically. So I, I really like talking about the subject. I'm very excited to dive into it and sort of explain the, just like the, you know, the general parts about it. But um, Connor, you just got done watching your cube on like, you know, over two weeks of a live stream. Like as a cube builder and like cube owner, like where do you then see yourself making changes to your cube? Did you start looking at what did well or what do you, what do you look at? Yeah, I mean, a 21-man champion's cube is probably the most strenuous test a, a cube can undergo, right? <laughs> <laughs> if something is broken, people will find it. People will make it very good just because you know that all the people that are playing it are, are very good at cube and very invested in cube. Um, so so for my cube, which uh, I previously thought was in a very good place balance-wise, I still think is in a, a very good place balance-wise, you know, in, in the grand spectrum of cubes, there are tons of changes that I want to make now because I'm like I see new ways that I can make lines more competitive I see things that like strategies that came out that I either don't want to exist or I think are too powerful um, things like that they they have really influenced the direction that I want to take my cube and they have given me a lot of ideas and kind of inspiration for changes that I think should be made based on like the decks that did very very well and changes that I think should be made based on decks that weren't played or decks that did poorly. So lots to think about for sure uh, coming off of Champions Cube. I feel like any Cube League level event is phenomenal testing. Like probably the best testing that you can get for your Cube just because so many people are playing it and people are really trying to win. Like they're not just kind of 
playing around and, and building whatever meme deck they can come up with, which can happen in smaller groups for sure. Even in our testing in uh, like leading up to the cube leagues, that can happen. So having your cube run for one of the events in the Discord is is a real stress test for sure. Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially as like um, and how the cube league works is like multiple pods are drafting at the same time. So normally, like when we play RL, you maybe get one draft in or maybe two of the night. But like when you do cube league, three people, three sets of people are drafting at the same time. So it's a lot more, ver- like more, a lot more of your cube getting fired, which is good. I mean, it allows you to basically expedite the process a little bit more, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the more recent cube leagues too have been like five six pods so wow just uh i mean it would take you so if you did a cube a weekend which is honestly probably more than a lot of people are able to run their cubes uh, right now for sure but in general um you did like a cube a week then it would take you a month and a half to get that level of testing and that's if every single player was like trying to win not memeing around and and pretty competent at cube um so that's and and it the event plays for three times as long because you have six Swiss rounds or five or six depending on the league, and then three more, three more rounds in top cut, so uh, it's it's like nine rounds and like six drafts or five or six drafts. So it, it's just like you know the amount of testing you get in like half a year if you play it regularly the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, I definitely see how that would be uh, very helpful for any cube owner and just have their basically their cube super drafted <laughs> right. over, over, over an event. So then I guess like where do you even start when you're thinking about balancing? Like do you look at maybe your power level or what do you what do you think is the best thing to look at first? Yeah, I mean, it's always a good thing to think about your power level and, and kind of keep it in mind as you make all your changes to your cube and aim for a more balanced cube. Um, the, the power levels, we talked about them in an earlier episode. I'm not going to go back through them here very much, just low, mid, high, and then like high plus ultra high. Um, I'll try to start saying ultra high more that way we, uh, kind of standardize the term, but keeping, keeping an eye on that and, um, seeing, you know, where your power might be creeping. If you continuously make buffs to your cube, maybe you're creeping more toward high power. If you are, uh, nerfing your cube constantly then maybe you're creeping down to a lower power level and and neither of those things are necessarily bad but it can be really helpful to kind of recognize that and keep an eye on that Um, i would say especially when you're building your cube because once you actually run it then it'll be more apparent because you'll actually have seen decks in action they'll have been played but uh, in those early stages especially and and when you're building and kind of formulating the ideas it can be a very, very good idea to um, just keep your power level in mind, look at your cards, be like, is this card a mid-power card? Is it a high-power card? And if you have more experience, it's going to be easier to do. I recommend uh, listening back to our episode about building a cube if you are interested in that because we do a much more in-depth breakdown. I'm not going to go back through it here, but uh, that is that is one thing that is definitely important to keep in mind as you get into cube balance yeah and i think also uh when you're building your cube and you're thinking about power level um definitely like i think uh, two big things to look at is just like hp and attack like uh you can swap pretty quickly if something's going to be a problem if it can just one shot the whole cube for basically no commitment so um 
you know, it, and it happens. Sometimes you, they, those kind of cards sneak in there. But, I mean, if you look at a card and you think, huh, so I could, like, maybe one-shot everything in the queue by, like, turn two. Maybe then start to think, well, can anything answer that in return? If no, well, then you might have a problem on your hands. So never a bad idea to, like, be a little bit cautious when you when you look at something like that. It might be insanely broken on paper. Um, not always is that always the case. Sometimes um, there are more, like, indirect combos that we think are going to be really good, but then sometimes aren't. Um, so... I don't know, always like kind of like just keep an eye on things. And I think if you look at HP and attack, those are just good like parameters for deciding on where cards are going to sit within your power level. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, and energy costs as well. I would say that right. HP, attacks, energy costs, that's kind of like the trifecta uh, where you can tell the bulk of your power level. So I guess like the e it's easier to tell when a cube's not balanced than balanced, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and I think even balanced cubes don't always feel that way sometimes if, if somebody gets a really good deck. But um, it's when something is out of balance in a cube, a lot of the time you can like feel it, uh, whether it be a line is very, very bad and you go in and your deck just feels awful compared to the decks you're playing against or a uh, deck is very good and it goes in and your attacker just kills everything for not much commitment and then you know, you feel great, but your opponent's probably not so much. Yeah, I think, like, if you want to be able to tell if your, like, cube's not balanced, uh, I think a good way to look through is just paying attention to what Pokemon are, like, making up your, you know, your line toppers. Like, what are what are the most powerful cards in your line doing? And how does that compare to other lines, right? Definitely. And, and I think that's definitely more relevant, again, if you have recently finished building your cube or just if you haven't played it in a while, you know? Uh, perspectives change. I think that in the process of building a cube, you definitely have this kind of guiding vision that you have, but that vision changes as you see more cards, as you find new strategies that you hadn't thought about, uh, as you just learn more about the, the history of the game and what cards have existed. And it, it can be very easy to start with an idea and end with a totally different idea. Uh, that was something that I experienced at least to some extent in my cube. Like I constantly had to rein myself in, be like, you know, this is not going to be balanced. This is drifting too far away from where I started, uh, where or or where the last couple of lines were. So uh, definitely can be very helpful to just go through your line toppers again. You know, think about how you would feel if you drafted those cards, how likely you would be to draft those cards. And I'm not saying like you know if you don't like playing control, then like you're not going to be likely to draft control deck. That's not exactly what I'm saying. More like, you know, if you saw a stage two fire type in the cube, would you be significantly less likely to draft that than the stage two fighting type because it's probably not as strong? So that's definitely something to think about. Yeah, and I think it's also like, is like the, the strategy your archetype's going for even feasible? Um, I think sometimes like, I know I've, I've fallen in this trap before where you have a really cool idea for a lion, but like, it requires like the stage one line of like this archetype over here, but then it's also going to take like a few extra trainers that are like one of us in the draft. And then it just kind of turns into this like science fair where like you don't really have like a, you feel like that archetype's really strong because you have it in your head that they just need to draft these cards and they're set. But like chances are like, you're probably going to be the only one who sees that combo. And like, if they don't have those cards, how does the line even fare? So I always find it best not to like get too hung up on like, okay, well, this set of cards, this line needs, like, these extra cards to work. Like, you want to make sure that whatever, like, line you have, your line toppers, like, that should be, like, the premier part of your line. And then everything else is kind of just extra. Maybe it's 
stronger with these other cards, but make sure the lines are still, you know, pretty much good on their own. If not, maybe you just need a little bit of help from other things. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and everything can be done as far as, you know, you, you can include more complicated strategies in your cube. You just need to make sure that they're fairly feasible. So, um, I, I have like a mighty Anna in my cube that, it can attack for free if it has a status condition. And I, I think I might have to take it out soon. I'm not totally sure. But uh, when I originally put the cube together, there were four enablers for that. So even though they weren't in the Mighty Yenna line, there were two Skuntank Gs and two Ariados that would poison your own active. So um, that, you know, four of those cards existing meant that most likely you were going to be able to find one if you were on the Mighty Yenna and you would be solid. So more complicated strategies and strategies that exist out of a single line can definitely work and they can be a lot of fun, but you just need to understand that like expecting people to get counts of cards that are very low is going to be unrealistic and is often going to result in an archetype that's too weak. Yeah, so definitely like I think I think that just going like liberally through your line poppers and like trying to think about the decks is always just a good place to start. So I, I for sure agree with that too i think the other thing too when you're looking at your cube is results can be a little it can be like almost like a double-edged sword right like sometimes they're helpful sometimes people kind of look at them too closely i think results are the most helpful as far yeah. as balancing your cube especially if your cube has been around for a long time if you're a more experienced cube builder because at that point you're not going to be able to as easily look at your lines and say like this is out of balance because most of the time if you're an experienced cube builder you're going to be able to build a cube that looks balanced on the surface it's results are going to be really huge for you when you when you get to that point and when you're newer i just think in general they're they're the most reliable way to determine whether your cube is balanced however there are things that you have to think about um play rates of decks like if there's a deck that's nobody that nobody is drafting and it's pretty clear that like that is still a solid deck then you might just not have the right audience for it and and that can be a reason to take out take it out anyway just because you know if people aren't going to play it maybe you just take it out and replace it with something that people would have more fun with uh but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to take it out uh and uh and pilot strength is another thing if uh, if your best player really likes to play grass and grass is winning a lot, well, maybe it's just because your best player is constantly forcing grass and, and drafting grass. So it, it just depends. However, without those things, if a deck feels very powerful, then it is almost certainly very powerful. However, I will say even that should be taken with a, a little bit of a grain of salt. A deck winning does not mean it's unbalanced. A deck that is drafted very well or drafted perfectly should feel like it was drafted very well perfectly you know it should feel like it's a payoff for the solid draft the deck building effort that the player put into it that they skillfully executed so you don't want a perfectly drafted deck to feel the same as a deck that was drafted just okay you know so actually i want to put a pin in that because i do want to come back to that um kind of like to reiterate something um so when i think of results uh something that i often see like new more, more people like new to like their cube building like kind of fall into is um i think oftentimes players don't look at the whole picture like they'll look at uh what won and then they'll think like okay well it, it won so it's probably too good or if it wins multiple times so i think like if you take results to i don't want to say too seriously because that's not what i mean but like if you don't look at context 
and you just look at, okay, well, this deck won, this deck won, then you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. So that's why I think results can be sort of a double-edged sword. I definitely think they are the most important thing for balancing your cube. And they give you, I mean, it's just data, right? So you're, you're getting to look at how players are reacting to your cube and what, what is happening, right? Um, but if you take it in a direction that's like, okay, well, I'm, if you're like way too concerned about like every card being like too good, or if you're like, you know, going off one draft and then just like, you know, scorched earthing your way through your cube to like make sure everything is just like not going to be overpowered, then that's where I think results can be a little bit tricky, uh, especially if you don't have the right mindset. You know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, I actually have seen cubes kind of uh, like sterilized in, in the sense that, uh, they have actually been kind of nerfed and sanded down to where all of the strategies feel like exactly in line. Uh, and, and a cube being very balanced would mean that the, the lines are exactly in line. So maybe that's not exactly what I, what I should say, but um, the, the, strate the strategic difference is not significant. And a lot of the time what that ends up devolving to is, is who sets up first and who you know, starts attacking first because the strategies on both sides are so even and there's so few like tricks and things that they can do that are interesting and that could allow them to come back into the game that um, that it, it doesn't really matter. And uh, so you can definitely sand down the edges of your cube too much. And, and that was one of the reasons why I talk about, you know, perfectly drafted decks should feel perfectly drafted and powerful. Um, because if you, if you nuke every deck that wins or that feels really strong, then eventually you're just going to have a bunch of watered-down decks left. See, that's the other thing, that too. That, I mean, I, I always feel like if a deck was built well, I mean, it should be powerful. And oftentimes I feel like players are like, well, that deck was just too good. Like, it needs to get nerfed or something. Like, if someone, like, let's just use Mike Gibbs as an example, who drafted insanely well and played really well throughout the event. Like, um... Players could say, like, oh, wow, that deck's insanely broken. Like, look at all these matchups you just won. What a terrible cube for having such a broken deck. But it's like, he put those pieces together, you know, and put a lot of his skills to use. You should get rewarded for those kind of plays happening. So um, I think looking at it from, like, a broader perspective and thinking, like, okay, well, there's also other really good decks in that, in that you know, in that draft, too, who also did well. Um, just because one deck was, like, very good at that event doesn't mean, like, the other decks didn't have, you know, merit, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. And and it's actually an excellent example that you use here because Mike's deck is going to result in very, very few changes to the cube, if any, really. Um, I think I'm going to take out like one Dark Claw, but uh, Mike's deck was just excellently drafted, very well piloted. He got everything that he wanted and he knew exactly the kind of deck that he wanted to build. And that happened to be the deck that would like push him through the event. And, and that was great. Um, but it, it, didn't, it didn't do anything that like broke the cube. Like it didn't abuse anything specific uh, as far as you know things being unintendedly too powerful. Uh, it didn't like swing for huge damage for no commitment at all. Like you know he had to spend like, three turns powering up his Pokemon. He wasn't turboing out anything. If he ended up in a situation where he lost a couple of big Pokemon, then he probably wouldn't have been in a great spot in those games. Uh, his deck was essentially just a very, very powerful, very well-drafted deck. Uh, it, it wasn't broken. 
uh, a deck that I would consider more like broken or overpowered or interacting in ways that I didn't expect or don't want is is actually uh, Omnipoke's deck from the finals as well. Uh, it, it did lose to Mike's deck in the end, but it was because it was vulnerable to Mike's cessation crystal and not because the strategy wasn't as good as Mike's. Like, I think if the abilities were able to be on for that deck, then Omnipoke almost certainly would have been able to beat him without too much issue. But uh, Omnipoke's deck, you know, set up super fast every single game. It hit everything on the board. There was, like, no downtime. Like, it was just constantly going, constantly dishing out these huge attacks. Uh, Skuntank with the, the triple plus powers all the time, like... And, and it was really bare bones, too, in the sense that it was essentially boiled down to, like, one SP attacker. And then Mighty Enna was kind of like a, a side guy that I don't think he used that much throughout the event. Uh, and certainly not in the games that I saw. So a, a deck like that, I, I don't want to exist, essentially. Um, it feels unfair to play against because it is, you know, you, they can they can hit anything. It's way too fast. Um, the the damage is way too high with the Skun Tank and uh, the healing. You know, it, it's just essentially got everything, and it just happened to be very vulnerable to ability lock, and, and it lost because of that. So that would be an example of a deck where I look at it, and I'm like, that that needs nerfed, whereas even though Mike's deck won, not necessarily needing those same kind of nerfs. Yeah, I mean, like, that's definitely, I'm really glad you brought that up, too, because um, I feel like in a world, like, someone would look at it like, oh, well, um, it you know, his deck lost, Omnipoke's deck lost, so clearly, you know, it, it can be beat, but, like, I think when it comes to balancing, this is why balancing is tricky, because it's not exactly obvious on how everything works, and there's not really a right or wrong answer, like, there's no, like, objectively, I mean, I guess you could say there is an objectively wrong way to balance, but I like to think it's more subjective, but ignoring all that, um, looking, and I agree with what, what you said about, you know, the changes you're going to make, because I, I agree that uh, I think that strategy with just the, I feel like a really rushed down heavy deck with the uh, like guard chomps the likes of being able to snipe anything on the bench on like turn two or three. Um, but when you look at it in a broader schedule, like, okay, well, how did that deck interact with other decks as opposed to what were the results were objectively? Like you start to see like where the problems were and like, okay, so that strategy is really good. It got shut down this one time, but like, you know, had he maybe played some tool removal, it could have been, I mean, he could have just come out on top. So I think that's where um, it gets tricky. And I definitely encourage players to look at the matchups too for like what happened and like try to, I mean, if you can watch the games that are getting played from your cube and start seeing how cards are interacting, I think that's also going to be a good way for you to interpret results. Um, something I just wanted to bring up with that as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and actually, I, I thought of this while you were you know talking about some of the other decks. Um, the this I, I drafted the same deck as Mike, and things did not go as well for me, and my deck didn't turn out as strong as his. And that definitely did not feel broken. And I, I, if anybody listening has watched the VODs, I'm sure you can tell it, it did not look broken either. Um, so things like that, you know, if, if a deck is drafted multiple times and, you know, one time it feels really, really strong, could just be that that one time is when the player drafted that deck exceptionally well. So uh, that, that can be another thing that you can look at and uh, use kind of the larger sample as opposed to one small individual sample. Right. So taking a step away from results, I think your other huge asset in your cubing is the people who are drafting your cube. Uh, I think outside input can be helpful, uh, again, if used correctly. Um, I know, like, Connor, did you get any, like, useful feedback or any feedback in general on your cube after the Champions Cube? Yeah, yeah, I got tons of feedback. Uh, people talk to me 
about the cube a lot. Um, some people, I mean, Omnipoke even included his critique in a video, which was helpful. Um, so a lot of people's feedback, I, I talked with the admins a bunch, and that has directly contributed to some of the changes that I'm going to end up making to my cube. And I, I'm also pretty hard-headed as far as cube balance and changes go. So like, usually I get an idea in my head and I'm like, okay, I want to try this this time. Um, but uh, even, even in that case where I consider myself pretty hard-headed about it, there were still ideas that I had not thought about, um, interesting opinions and takes that people had that I had not considered myself. And all of that, if you take that into account and then you know process that in in whatever way that you think is best, it, you can you can gain a lot more insight into your cube than you would ever be able to gain alone. Yeah, I think like um, I feel like if you're if you have a cube and you you want it to improve and get better, you you got to be able to take criticism and take other people's opinions and suggestions. You don't have to obviously do what everyone tells you to do, like. It's your cube. But, you know, people who are drafting your cube or watching your cube firsthand are probably going to be able to look at things. I mean, you can't look at everything, right, being one person. So more eyes definitely on your cube and more ideas, I think, influence a lot of really cool things. I know some of the best innovations in my cube have come from people that weren't me. So uh, I find asking people, especially, like, people that I know who are really experienced with the format or with Pokemon, tend to, you know, be honest and give you great advice. So... I always look to those kind of people or any really anybody uh, who's got, you know, ideas. I think just be able to take criticism is a huge part of balancing. Um, so then we're looking at like, um, I mean, you have different audiences, right? When you're, when you're playing your cube. So like if we were to play, I mean, your cube is a great example because we just saw it drafted on like, a, you know, a more competitive scale. So like in that respect, I feel like people are taking the cube a lot more seriously than maybe if we just did it on like cube weekend. So how does that do you think influences like people's perception? Yeah, uh, the the audience that you play your cube with can matter a lot, and it can influence not only how you balance your cube, but to what level it needs to be balanced. Um, if you if you play like with a casual friend group, not that serious at Pokemon, or or even just not that serious at Cube, you know maybe they're super competitive Pokemon players, but you know Cube is just something you do for fun. They don't think about it that hard. Um, then then you don't need to have a Cube that's as balanced as you would if you were like running it for Cube League or something, where we really uh, try to have as balanced a Cube as possible to run for the leagues, just because it's like that is that is you know the ultimate in competition of Cube. So balance is really important. Um, so it, it definitely depends on your audience, how balanced it needs to be. And, uh, that is something that you can think about as well. You know, if there's a strategy that might be too powerful, but people really like, and nobody seems to complain about, well, then that's fine. Like, you know, if your cube is fun and everybody's kind of on the same page about it being fun, then keep it in. Um, if there's like a meme strategy that's pretty weak, but sometimes it's a lot of fun, then that's also fine. Uh, I will say sometimes if there are strategies that are just like really weak and people kind of know to avoid them and everybody's happy, well, then that can at least be stuff that you can drop for other fun cards. So that would be the, the case where I'm like, well, even if you're playing with a pretty casual group or a group that doesn't need it to be that balanced, you might still want to make some changes there just because it can be more fun in the end. But um, it very, very good ask, and uh, it definitely does make a difference. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you said that too, because it feels like if you, um, if you know a line is just constantly avoided and there's not a lot of, and, you, and I feel like if you, as the builder, 
don't really find it that interesting or want to draft it. Like, I definitely would recommend also like switching it out for something that's maybe different or more fun um, if, if it's available to you. Um, I know like certain lines aren't as gifted as others. Like grass is definitely not as gifted as like fire or water or fighting when it comes to Pokemon lines. So sometimes depending on your power level, you kind of have to make do with what you've got. Uh, but that doesn't mean there isn't ways for you to innovate. And if everyone's having a good time, at least that's the most important thing. But um, if you can find maybe other lines that could be more interesting or fun than what you have now, I mean, there's definitely uh, room for growth there. I guess also we should move into then like maybe some less obvious balancing issues because a line that's consistently dominant and is very, you know, lopsided, it's probably easier to see. But there's different ways where uh, lines can be a little bit more, uh, I would say, less conducive for fun than they should be. So I guess like maybe the first question we'd ask is maybe how, like what's the difficulty in drafting uh, any sort of strategy? So like maybe a deck like Mike's, uh, or I guess yours too, uh, is a good example because I thought those uh, strategies were pretty like i don't i don't know hidden's the right word but like i i know like when i first looked at the draft uh it didn't quite occur to me that that was the combination of cards that people were going for um whereas more like the like sp heavy decks were a little bit more obvious you know yeah yeah i mean how easy a deck is to draft how hard it is to draft uh, even even how clear the synergies are and strategies those can all be things that don't seem important with balancing but are are actually very important um if a deck takes a lot to come together well if you need a lot of different cards if you need a you know a couple of different lines then it's definitely going to be a weaker deck on the whole just because more things have to go right than if you drafted a different deck whereas a lot of the most overpowered decks that you'll see in a cube come together very easily. Let's say you're playing a mid-power cube that features Fighting Fury Machamp, and that Machamp is just more powerful than everything else. It's a card that I've seen break cubes over and over. Um, then, uh, then you know, somebody makes a deck with that Machamp, maybe one other Machamp, and then they win the cube because that card's just so much better. I, I've actually seen that exact thing happen with that exact card. <laughs> um, so, you know, ease of decks coming together is a very real and very important thing. And um, it, it can also go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, where if a strategy is not obvious or and a little bit harder to put together, then maybe people aren't drafting it because they're not seeing it or, you know, they're not considering it at the right phase. And then by the time they realize it's there or it's open, you know, the kind of ship has already sailed. So... Um, that could be another thing that is maybe influencing the play rate of a deck. Um, so perfectly drafted decks should always be strong, like we've talked about before, but you shouldn't need to draft a deck perfectly for it to be strong. And what we already said once earlier in the episode as well was that um, you you don't want a deck that's like drafted just okay to be as powerful as a deck that was drafted perfectly. Uh, in in that similar vein yeah i definitely agree i feel like having a deck that's like you know i got i, I you know, it's built well and it still sucks like <laughs> that's not any fun for anybody so I, I think that a lot of that comes with the line and what options you give it um like i'm sure mighty Enna in your cube would be a lot less powerful or interesting if there was like one enabler uh, as opposed to having multiple ways you can play it so i think having ways to at least give like your lines different options is still good just want to make sure like every like a, a deck that is built well um 
should should definitely have you know something to stand on. It's funny. I remember like in my cubes, I have like a high power cube, and something that I always thought was interesting was like the million effects of Rhyperior. So, um, and I couldn't find a good uh, fighting Sage two to play my cube. So I was like, well, we can try maybe putting a few of the uh, I can't remember what it's called. The poker power, just vol it, mill through at the top. Uh, I think it's called toppling wind. Toppling wind, yeah. So I had two of the of the most recent one with the uh, ability, and then like the, uh, there's an older one with that same one. So there's three million ones in my cube, and I thought, okay, so this should be like a pretty aggressive mill deck. And I drafted it a few times, and no one went for it, and it was like people were trying to play it like you know like an attacking deck, which is fine. But uh, I was like, man, I thought this would be more like you know played. And it took one person to play it with like uh, BTS and scoop of effects, <laughs> and then just like Molly whopped their way through the matchups uh, to start like you know oh yeah okay this is actually really good I should like maybe change it but it's funny how like different players who play your cube like the perception of what is good and is not is like completely depending on who's drafting and what they value. Yeah, and and it definitely changes over time. Like. Uh, strategies that are a little bit harder to deduce or sniff out uh, are not going to probably be as be taken to as quickly. Um, I know like Palkia G level X made top four. This not like a deck that was heavily centered around it made top four uh, at, at Champions Cube, whereas that card was pretty much never included in decks before, and people were you know realizing how to play it and how it could be powerful and. Um, Mightyena, another line where I, I looked at that line for so long and I'm like, I know this line is good. And and then it ended up feeling extremely powerful in uh, in the Champions Cube. So just keep in mind, you know, if a strategy is more out there, if more things need to go right, it is okay for that strategy to exist as long as it's not like the primary thing going on for a certain type or line, um, then, then that's fine. And... Uh, it might be strong and it, it might even be too strong um, and people just haven't kind of picked up on that yet. So that can be another thing, you know, things change over time. People understand how to play cards better over time. So that is definitely another element that you'll have to consider as well. So then like, how do you feel like if a deck's just not popular, like no one wants to touch it, like, is that more of an indicator of the line or do you think it's just one of those things that we just talked about where people maybe just don't see the pieces yet? I think it depends. And and I think that no matter what, it is a good reason to critically re-examine that line. So if nobody is playing a line, you definitely want to look at it and think about why. If that is because it's too weak, then you know a lot of the time that will be, then you need to take it out. Sometimes though, it's because random chance people just haven't ended up on that line people have uh, thought that the line was weaker they haven't realized how it should be best drafted um, things like that and those can all contribute to a line not being played and and also you know your play group if you play with the same people all the time and they don't like certain kinds of strategies then maybe that can result in a lower play rate as well so um, all, all those different things can really come together and affect the representation of a deck and what you're kind of seeing in your results and uh you know a lot of the time if you have played your cube as well um and and you've seen time after time a certain archetype is not being drafted why have you not drafted it you know and and there's definitely a reason there like you didn't just uh 
you didn't just randomly decide not to draft it every time most likely you probably had to make at least one or two conscious decisions to go for another strategy so think about why that might be and uh, that can also be another really useful thing yeah that's actually something that i like try to do when i draft my own cube it's just i like to draft lines i haven't necessarily drafted in a while just to see how they're doing um but if it's a line i don't even want to draft like out of even just like research purposes then like that's just more telling than anything else because if the cube builder doesn't even want to touch the line like is anyone else going to right yeah definitely like if if you put this line in your cube and you're like i'm sure somebody will figure something out with this which happens a lot uh (laughs) like it happens a lot then uh and and it turns out nobody has figured out what to do with it well maybe there's just nothing to do with it maybe it's just not very good yeah maybe it's just uh just not a strategy that comes together like there's just nothing there for it and that can definitely happen as well and i honestly i hate being on the other end of that like i've 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 had the same experience where like i have like drafted lines that were just like no intention on where they're supposed to go or what they're supposed to do like I think I've drafted Skunk Tank before, and like <laughs> I felt like it just was confusing. I don't know. It's kind of like a jarring experience. It's like I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, yeah, I can feel really bad to end up on a line that doesn't really have any direction or strategy, um, just because like the cube builder thought, you know, somebody will figure this out, but then there's actually you know no intention behind it at all. So it it can definitely not be a fun experience when you end up in that situation. So definitely something that you as the cube builder would want to avoid happening to your players. Yeah, I think a lot of that too is just, make sure like whenever you, I think it kind of starts whenever you build your cubes, make sure you understand what, if there's intention behind each line. Um, Because like four of an X Pokemon like has to have, so that's equate into something, some strategy. Because you have to assume players are going to want to draft like the lines themselves and like and more generally we see people drafting like you know there's more to it than just that right like we have a whole episode on drafting but um i think at like a base level like if the lines themselves don't work like that's going to cause a lot of balance issues in general just because this kind of leads to the next point like type balance is also a huge part of it so if one part of your line you know isn't performing that's like a way better for the things that it's weak to right yeah absolutely like if if your psychic line is weak to dark and dark sucks well then psychic is in a really good spot compared to the deck that's weak to psychic (laughs) um you know so if uh if one of your most powerful lines is hitting stuff for weakness then that's definitely something to consider as well Uh, another thing is uh the the quantity of the types that uh pokemon are weak to so, like, you know, if you have way more psychic Pokemon in the cube, then you need to pay more attention to psychic weaknesses and probably slim down the number of psychic Pokemon in the cube as well, or even just eliminate the things that are weak to psychic. And all of those things can be really important for balance as well. Yeah, it's funny how, like, the flip side of that works too, because, like, fighting to me is a really interesting typing since it hits colorless, dark, and lightning for weakness, which is three separate types um unless i mean obviously you can play around that but like um i think that's why fighting i don't know uh you might have better you might be able to speak to this better than i can but i think fighting in general can be like a huge problem just because of that right because of the weakness i agree i i think it feels good to be on fighting types in most cubes um because they hit a lot of stuff for weakness 
with uh, with some of the newer cubes that we've been seeing. I think people have taken that into consideration. But if you have lines that are weak to fighting, that uh, and there's there's no real counter to that, um, then then that can be you're not alone for starters, and it can be dealt with, but it can be an issue for sure. Um, so shared weaknesses can be a big deal. Like if, if you draft a fighting deck and you go into the event and, or even just, you know, the, the table draft, whatever, and, uh, and half your matchups are favorable off the bat. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Well, uh, something too, um, that you can do when you're looking at lines and this is less, I think less applicable to high power, but like maybe more like mid low is like the type of weakness that's on them. Cause not every card is times two. You have some that are plus 30 plus 20, you have some that are resistant to fighting, depending. I usually just say if they have wings, they're probably resistant. But <laughs> you can mess with the, the the resistance and like the actual like weakness multiplier, depending on what card you use in the line. So that's something you should look at too when you're looking at a few different lines. Is okay, well, this one actually isn't. Maybe a particular line isn't as bad into like a certain type, just because of like okay, maybe it has multi weakness. Like Torterra actually in Slate's Cube has some of that going on, where like one of it's weak to like fire. I think another one's weak to like water. So. You can diversify the weaknesses, and I think that would make the cube line more interesting, right? Yeah, definitely. I think diversified weaknesses are generally a lot of fun and something that uh, that most lines should strive for. You know, just losing a game outright on weakness is not that fun. I always prioritize cards like uh, weakness policy, weakness guard energy pretty highly because I don't want to be in situations where I just lose because I hit my weakness. Uh, and, uh, and splitting weaknesses in lines when it's possible can make for games that are more interesting and exciting even if someone doesn't have the best matchup they could still have something that's like playable and even winnable yeah and you can even leverage it with like i think grass is a good example because I, I traditionally find grass to be underpowered in the cubes i've drafted at least so like you can leverage that with maybe the fighting line's really good but it's weak to grass which gives grass a better matchup so you can again looking at the broader perspective there's like things you can do without the cards with the cards and your cube that um, might not be super intuitive right away, but um, if you start looking at context uh, when it comes to balancing, you can definitely play a role um, because you might not think like, okay, well, times two weakness versus plus 20, like they're both hitting for extra damage, but like plus 20, it makes some strategies a lot different. Um, like, in fact, if you're reaching for uh, certain knockouts, like times two is obviously going to be significantly easier to find than if you're trying to hit like maybe just an extra few damage counters. Like when you're trying to hit those weird numbers like 130 or 140. Um, having an extra 20 or 30 is great, but it doesn't exactly help you in that situation. Like I'm finding that right now in my team cube when I'm playing Arceus. Uh, I was playing a test game against my uh, my teammate who was playing Torterra, and the fire one I have is you know does 80, and then and when I'm hitting double damage, it's great because I'm doing 160. But when I'm only doing like extra 30, I'm not quite getting there. So it's interesting how that little bit of damage ends up coming up in this kind of game. Yeah, so lots of different ways that you can approach weakness, but it is definitely something that you need to consider, and it can be something that kind of sneaks up on you and is not obvious but not balanced about your cube. Yeah, so um, I think there's like a lot of different, um, I guess, pitfalls you could say that players fall into. Um, I do you, have you, do you have any off the top of your head that you could list? Do you think uh, players can like kind of traps people fall into? Yeah, I, I think my number one pitfall that i see players fall into is just that big basics are too powerful that that has to be like out of all the decks we've tested in or out of all the cubes we've tested in the discord out of all the cubes that i have played in my normal non-online life uh 
basics being too powerful is the most prevalent pitfall I have ever seen. I feel like it's an easy trap. I mean, I've definitely been there. Uh, I remember I told the story about the Evelts all before, uh, which I think when you're new to cube, it's very, it's very hard to see how those cards come together, especially if you aren't exposed to them in that context. Because uh, if you're coming off like maybe playing standard and expanded, which granted most people are, that's generally, you know, you know what you know. Um, you're, you're used to cards like Zacian being like, okay, well, that card's absurd, right? So I'm not going to put that in cube. But then you maybe take a step back and you think, well, I mean, like, could like Dialga from like, I think Rebel Clash that does like 130 be that bad? Well, then it kind of depends on context. So if it's one-shotting all of your Sage 2s, then it kind of is a problem. So you got to look at cards for like a lens of, okay, it's no longer in standard. Like, what is it competing against? So I think I think that's definitely, if you feel like your basics, if you're worried about your basics being too strong, again, it all comes down to balance, right? So how does it how does it fare with the other cards? And I, I just tend to lean on, like, I, I just tend to stray away from basics as much as I can. Like, they're not all bad, but like, they tend to be the most enablers, right? Yeah. And weak basics don't break the draft. Like weak basics are just that people just don't play them, and and you know you can work to improve on that and make basics that are appealing enough for people to take, but not so powerful that they're they're broken. Uh, but uh, a basic being too strong, even one basic. I remember playing a cube a while back, um, cube that I really enjoy. A friend of mine built where he tested out the Entei with an ancient trait that allowed two tools to be attached to it. it had like 130 HP. Um, its attacks were both solid. And uh, I literally saw somebody build a deck that was essentially like that Pokemon and garbage, and they won the cube. So so literally one basic that is drastically overpowered can completely warp the cube and it can it can win the cube on its own repeatedly if it's not taken out or dealt with so i guess the flip side of that too is maybe like the stage two is being too weak um i kind of feel like that happens a lot too where it's like if the stage twos aren't very like strong and they're traditionally gonna be slow they just kind of get blown out of the water um per se and i think a lot of that comes down to just what is what it, what are they competing with so if your stage ones are significantly better, stronger, and can just like deal with whatever the stage two decks are trying to do, then like what do the stage what do those decks really have? Like, do you have any experience with that, Connor? Yeah, I've definitely seen situations where the stage twos are too weak. You know, you, you don't want your stage ones and stage twos to be at the same power level because it, it takes more deck space, it takes more effort to get the stage twos out. You want them to be more powerful. You want your stage twos to be more powerful than your basics in stage ones. Um, because they are harder to get out and uh, and they take more in general like you know some of them have more complex strategies um, some of them even need multiple stage twos to work so you know you need two stage ones for your deck to work it's not that bad you need two stage twos for your deck to work that's that's a big ask so you really need to get something good out of that if that is the case and uh, I've definitely seen cubes where either people don't draft stage twos that much and they build a cube and they're very weak in the end, or um, people just uh, want all of their line toppers to be kind of on the same level, and then stage twos end up being weak because they're the same as the stage ones, and stage ones are just faster. So uh, things like that do definitely happen, uh, and uh, I would say it's not quite as common as basics being too strong, but can definitely still happen in your cube. I think something else that happens, 
moving away from like the Pokemon itself, it's like just lack of consistency. So like, just not enough. I'm mostly supporters, just like what I've seen. Like, there's not enough supporters in the queue for like every deck to have a consistent engine. I don't know how you feel about I, that. Constantly, I see that constantly, especially right. when people build like block cubes, uh, and and when people build singleton block cubes too. It's just uh, I've seen a lot of cubes where people you know put every single consistency card from an era into a cube and then there are enough consistency cards for everybody to have like five and that's that's not going to get there so uh you definitely need enough consistency cards in your cubes for people to like actually build a, a good deck and uh, that is something that can be very easy to overlook and it can also be something that is very very important to make sure is rectified as quickly as you notice it I think something too that um, that I was, I've been thinking about too is that like support lines also kind of fall into that category in my head because um, especially if like Claydol is in the queue, I find Claydol to be kind of polarizing sometimes. Like if if decks don't have enough consistency, it's usually the decks that have like Claydol that like can perform significantly better. Not, that's not saying like Claydol's a bad you know it's bad for cube. No, Claydol's great for cube, but. Um, if you don't have other lines, like maybe you don't have any other draw support lines besides Claydol, and maybe it's just like a 2-3 line, like other decks have a hard time competing with that kind of like advantage, unless you're leveraging that with something. So that's kind of another thing is like if you're uh, assuming that like, okay, well, I want people to have draw, so I'm going to put Claydol in there and we're good. But you don't have, but like you don't going to put six Claydol in the cube, so you have to assume not everyone's going to get Claydol. Um what else is in the queue that's going to compensate for that draw? Or is the one person who's going to have Claydol going to feel like they just have like the best deck because they're just constantly powering and getting what they need? So I think in addition to too few supporters, I also run across too few support lines. So where I don't feel like I'm able to like, you know, either that or I have to like fight for those support lines. And it's not like there's no other avenue I can go under besides I need to just like hate trap all toy at the beginning just to find something, right? <laughs> Yeah, and and I think support lines are interesting too because you can build a cube with none, and that's totally right. fine. It just depends on like what the needs of the average deck are. So, uh, if if the decks that have support lines are going to be overwhelmingly better than the decks without them, then that's when you really need to consider: is this something where I need to increase the supporter count? Is it something where I need to reduce the number of support lines? Is it where I need to increase the number of support lines, you know, it, it really does influence a lot. Yeah, and I um and kind of something else too that's I, I know I've fallen victim to, uh personally, is like your favorite lines end up being the best ones just because you're the most interested in them. And I think that's kind of easy to do because they're probably the reason why you built the cube. Um, like it's, it's probably like a, maybe a certain line you had in mind and it's like, okay, well I want that one to be really good. Cause obviously I love X Pokemon. So, um, it ends up happening. Then it's just, you don't think about like either that or you don't want them to lose. So you don't have as, you know, you don't think about their you know worst matchup being as strong as it should be. I don't know. How do you have, you ever had that happen to you? Oh yeah. It's so easy to do. Uh, I, I don't know if it's happened in my cube that I have right now, but I've seen it happen a lot. And, um, you know, you, you kind of have a cube or you have a line in your mind when you put your cube together it's kind of like the driving force behind your cube and you're thinking about man when i put this cube together i can finally draft this deck i'm gonna be so excited to actually play it and then that cube ends up or that line i uh, i'm stumbling over myself a lot here but 
that line ends up being way more powerful than everything else because you've constantly evaluated every line against it and even subconsciously you've you know wanted that line to have an edge or have some way that it can beat that other deck that you're bringing in now um, it, it can be pretty easy to do and uh, not even something that you do consciously so that can that can be something to examine and uh, it's definitely at the very least something to kind of check yourself on as you're building a cube or modifying a cube i know that i did that a bunch of times like when i was building my cube i wanted the poison strategies to be really interesting and powerful and uh, i had to pretty much constantly reevaluate through the cube like is is this strategy better than these other new strategies i'm bringing in and uh, sometimes the answer is yes and I, I had to make a change there so it really just depends on what you're doing and uh, definitely keep an eye out for it yeah for sure um i think the other thing too is uh and we kind of talked to this before it's just uh types end up being like sort of uneven you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely whether there are uh you know lines that are thicker there are more lines of some types things like that they do happen uh, I, I especially see newer cube builders do it where they put like uh five of a line topper in one line and then four in another and it's like well you've just made that that five line topper line a much more appealing draft prospect because it's going to be easier to get enough to make a deck and your your top end of what that deck is capable of is is higher as well so it uh it's definitely something that you want to make sure is is even you know lines need to be compensated whether it doesn't even always have to be like uh like a line topper like you could have a six five line and then a six four line in the same cube but say that six four line has like a ton of support for it in other ways that can be fine too uh, i i even do that in my own cube there's a six four mighty Anna line whereas most of the stage ones are six five um but the the dark types have like four dark patch and and all kinds of stuff so um there are different ways that you can compensate for it but it, it definitely is a thing that you need to very deliberately keep an eye out on or keep an eye out for and uh, if you do decide to have uneven counts then you need to compensate for that you can't just kind of leave it floating there because it will end up coming up and some decks will feel better than others I feel like a trend I've seen more often, and maybe it's just because I've played your cube a lot recently since uh, it was on stream, is just like, um, sort of like not one offs, but just like you know, two two lines of certain Pokemon. Like I know you have the two two line of the Weavile, uh, which is something I've never really exper experimented much with my cube. But do you have any like advice for players attempting to put like certain, maybe uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like support, maybe support Pokemon in a, in a way as Weavile helps accelerate energy, like. Do you think like two two is like the standard you would go with, or do you think like those kind of lines should have a certain distribution to them? So I, I like two three lines. I have uh, two. Oh, sorry, I, I like the no, it's good. I, I actually want to talk about this. Um, I like the basics to be heavier than the the top end, just because it makes it more feasible that people that draft the top end actually gets to play it. Um, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, I I like those kinds of things a lot, and I would say there are two things. One, you want to make sure those are interesting enough to justify including in a deck. Like, it can't just be, this is another line that has, like, three for a hundred, and that's it. Like, I just like the Pokemon, so I put it in. Um, it, it needs to do something unique, and it needs to do something that makes it worthwhile. 
And I would also say if it is thinner, you should not kind of include it in the shell of a more promising line. And, and that's a little bit hard to quantify uh, more empirically. So I'll kind of uh, elaborate more on that. If you have a 3-2 Del Caddy line, you should not have one Del Caddy that draws cards and then one that has like a really good attack because that people that see that attacking Del Caddy are going to see that and if they are not experienced with the cube then they're going to feel like that Del Caddy is a more fleshed out strategy than it actually is. Whereas if they see that draw Del Caddy they're going to be ready to put it in their deck for sure but they're not going to build their deck around the draw Del Caddy. Like that draw Del Caddy is not going to be the Pokemon that their deck is designed to have in the active and attacking all the time. So you know if you do have those supporting lines make sure that it is kind of implicitly clear that those lines are not the the build arounds in a conventional sense like that's not your main strategy so in my cube that's like weavile that turns your pokemon into dark types really cool but it deals like two for 40 and, and that's like all the weaviles in the cube are the same ones. so nobody's gonna try and make like a weavile deck um but they will play weavile and other stuff and that's what it's there for so basically don't include cards and lines that are just, uh, you know, like solid cards if, if it's not a full line. I think Claydol's kind of funny too because obviously Cosmic Power is the one that comes to mind, but like I've, I've drafted other cubes that like have other Claydols in them and it, it can be confusing because you, you think Claydol is going to be your support line, but then you see one that attacks and you're like, well, wait, is there more Claydols than just that or what, what do I expect here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Both from the drafting and the building perspective, you know, you you should decide on what your intention behind those support lines is. Do you end up wanting to flesh those out? Because you can, that's totally fine. But if you want it to be a support line, then then you should make sure it stays a support line and kind of keep yourself in check there. Um, and if you are drafting and you see a a cosmic power claydol don't instantly assume that like claydol is a viable strategy just because that like one powerful support card is in there yeah and kind of funny too on like the flip end of that i feel like some cards take the spotlight on their own um and that like i feel like if the card's really strong like magnet zone prime is probably a good example then cards like that kind of just people build decks around that one card which I mean, could kind of be detrimental to maybe you have a, an idea for your Magnezone line and just one card is sort of just like the linchpin of that and probably the prime. Then the people are just going to take that one card and just build around it as opposed to the other way around. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and that can be detrimental in a couple of ways. One, it can make the strategy that it's designed for too powerful. Um, but it can also mean that that strategy that it's designed for never comes together. Because people, you know, people see Magnezone Prime and they're like, well, really don't want to play against this. It's stronger than everything in my deck. It's stronger than everything in all the decks I'm considering. So I'm just going to hate draft it and not play it. And I've seen that happen so many times. Like people just don't want to play against cards because they're too strong. And, and then they take them. And it doesn't matter what your intention was behind that line. If that happens fairly often, then it's not going to feel good. And it's not going to be the experience that you aimed for either. So... That can be another place where uh, 
where balancing can be really important. If you have those linchpin cards and the linchpin cards are super powerful or super versatile, like if there's something that somebody could put into really any deck and be very good, then you might need to reconsider that just because that line is often not going to come together even if somebody is really committed to it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly how I feel. Like I've had, I know I've had that happen in my own queue too, where it's like, uh, I mean, you know cards are going to be really strong, so like, I feel like as the as the drafter, I almost just take them because like, well, I don't want to play against them. But then like, if those cards are that strong and it's like gonna polarize like a certain cube, like you might just want to switch them out because it's, it's not gonna do you much good having them in the cube and it's not gonna create the experience you're looking for and it's might not just it's just not good overall. Then at that point, so then I guess um, we've talked a lot about just balancing. I feel like we've just scratched the surface. There's a lot of like, I think different concepts we could go into but i mean do you have any like last thoughts on the segment on balancing in general connor uh the the number one thing that i always try and emphasize with cube builders uh actually i feel like i end up emphasizing this more with cube builders that are really experienced and set in their ways is uh always be receptive to your audience and always be willing to try new things those two things are the most important things that you can have as a cube builder, as somebody who's trying to make a balanced cube and a fun experience. So that uh, that's my final thought on the matter. Yeah, actually, that's that's I, I feel the same way. I always felt like when I played my cube and change it, like I'm always trying to like uh, find out if a certain line is good or if I want to try a new idea. Like I've never been one to be afraid to do that. I think that's something that's important for a lot of people is like, Obviously, you don't have to like uproot your whole queue every time you play it. Like that's just not good for anybody. But um, you know, if there's a line you want to try or you have an idea and you're not sure if it's gonna be good, your best bet is just to try it and see what happens. I mean, like you're playing with a group of friends. That's you know, it's not like they're gonna like you know ostracize you from ever cubing again if the idea is bad. I mean, worst things to worst is that maybe just no one drafts it. But um, I think I think something that people miss out on is that say af being afraid to make a quote unquote mistakes and. I don't really even call it mistakes, but like if you don't think something's going to be, if you maybe think, oh, well, I have this idea and maybe it's, you know, not even like Pokemon, like specifically like game related. Like maybe you want to try a different mechanic in the cube and you want to see how it's going to go over. Like just try it in general. And like I think that plays a lot into balancing is you don't know if something's necessarily going to be what you think it is until you try it. So I agree with Connor. Definitely don't be afraid to like try new things in, in hopes that maybe you can come out with a better cube at the end of it. Yeah, and, and if you think that something is going to be too powerful going in, but you really want to try it and see how it plays, just just let the people playing know. Be like, hey guys, I'm keeping an eye out for this. I'm trying it. I think it's going to be too strong, but I, I think it would be a lot of fun, so I want to keep an eye on it. Um, and, and a lot of the time, your play group will be receptive to that. You know, Most of the time, when you run your cube, it's not going to be for some event where it needs to be the most balanced or whatever. You're just having a good time. So that'll... Uh, That'll be something that you can do as well and uh, another way that you can continue to try new things in your cube, even if they might not be the most inherently balanced. Yep, I agree. And also, I want to throw this out here. Um, if you have any specific balancing questions about or just want help on your cube, there is a cube help channel in the cube discord, which you can find in the description of this video if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify. Uh, that's a great place to ask specific questions or if you want feedback on your cube. Um, I mean, Connor, you, you probably speak to that more than I can. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most active channels in the Discord at this point, if not the most active, at least over the last couple of weeks. Um, people are 
constantly posting their cubes in there, people of all cube experiences, um, and then very experienced, very qualified players are giving excellent feedback on those cubes. So uh, definitely something to try. And, you know, it's free. It's easy. <laughs> people are generally pretty nice um, unless they know each other really well and then they're not quite <laughs> as nice. But uh, as, uh, as a newcomer, you don't have anything to worry about there. Everyone's welcomed. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think that's a great place to go if you're, you know, if you're, if you're really looking for specific questions, or even if you just want to, like, hey, guys, I'm thinking about building a cube, or I have a cube built, does someone want to look at it? You might actually get someone to even draft your cube. Um, you just check out the cube Discord. So, again, self-plug, right? So, uh, but, I mean, I just, I would really feel like that's a great place to start if you're still unsure about balancing or want some extra help on that. But with all that said, uh, we talked an extensive amount about balancing. I hope this at least was helpful to uh, people out there who are at least new to the format and trying to maybe built their first queue and are looking for ways to improve it. Uh, these are definitely some good starting ideas. Like I said, there's definitely more wow, we could get into, but you know, we have a lot of episodes in the future to talk about that, so we'll leave it for those days. But uh, stick around. We're going to actually talk about the where the podcast is going in the future. Uh, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's going to be sticking around, but uh, we'll be in the conclusion section in one second. You're listening to Peak Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. If you want to get notified when future episodes of Peak Cube are out, make sure to subscribe and hit the bell notification. We appreciate all your support and look forward to bringing you more Cube content in the future. Now, on to the next segment. Alright, welcome back. So, uh, in this last segment here, we kind of just wanted to give an update on where the podcast is going and where we're thinking about, you know, as far as its content is going. Um, so at this point we kind of wrapped up, talked about these, what cube is and every, you know, aspect that is sort of a general level. So hopefully players who are new to the format or people who are just getting in have a pretty good understanding now, at least of, you know, what the format has to offer and the various parts that make it up. Um, so we'd like to keep expanding on that idea and start talking about, you know, more in depth subjects. Um, Connor, what, is there anything you're like really excited to talk about? I, I think we've been talking about this topic specifically for a little bit. Um, I know I've definitely brought it up several times, and I think every time we talk about you know the next phase of our episodes, uh, the stadium war comes up. Yeah. That is something that I am very passionate about. I think about a lot. Uh, I think that I'm probably... Like, that's the direction that I'm learning right now in Cube is really maximizing the value you get out of your stadiums. So um, lots to lots to talk about, lots to think about there. Just uh, really excited in general to be getting into, you know, more nitty gritty, you know, talking for 60 minutes about what may end up being three or fewer cards in your deck and, and how it can dramatically warp your Cube experience. Uh, that's... Uh, really what i'm excited to get into yes yeah, that's where i come from too I, that was a lot of where this podcast started from uh i think uh there's a lot of things that make up cube it's it has a lot of moving pieces and um we're definitely looking forward to exploring those more um trying to paint a more holistic view of the format and i think it's going to be insightful for everybody hopefully i'm definitely excited to learn you know have this kind of, talk more about the nitty-gritty stuff um but if you feel like you're lost at all, or if anything seems across like a uh, concept maybe you aren't familiar with, I definitely uh, recommend you check out our previous episodes as I feel like we've gone through 
uh, at large, a lot of the stuff you would need to know. Um, obviously, it's like if you're following along now, like next week's episode isn't going to be like a complete 180 from what you've experienced so far. Like it more or less the same podcast. Just we're going to take ideas and more run with them um, in a more like, I don't know, deeper level. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. We're really going to take a deep dive and uh, talk about cards in different contexts and talk about some very specific stuff. And uh, basically we we've talked about, everything that you need to know to become like a competent cube player and to understand what cube is. And now we really want to talk about like the nitty gritty and the things that, you know, we're still working with and we're still learning and, uh, and hopefully the things that will allow you to really push your cube game to the next level. And as a cube builder, hopefully inspire you to do really interesting things with your cube and uh, really think about it in, uh, in a more complete and complex way. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's any subjects that you listening to this would like to hear about, please let us know in the comments, uh, especially if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, we do read them. And it would be, you know, if you have anything in particular you want to hear on the podcast, we'd love to, you know, hear from the audience as well. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode on balancing. I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, once again, this is Listen to PQ, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with Connor Lavelle, and we'll see you guys next time.